Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside my co host here, Jordan Chirot. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. Jordan got the singing chops. I had no idea, man. I think uh, we all probably know that song. Anyone that's played 2K, I used to have that song playing in in my dreams. I played that game so often. It's round two NBA playoffs. Come on, man. Like playing 2K, I'm fired up and singing, dancing, doing everything over here. Yeah, I'm certainly not singing and dancing after watching my Celtics in game one. That was uh, not the performance I was looking for after, you know, the sweep of the nets. And I think if anything, it's an indictment uh, Richard Jefferson actually tweeted this out on Sunday. You know, th- that was more of an indictment on the Nets and how bad they really were. They truly were not title contenders. They couldn't compete with the Celtics, and the Celtics did not look like close to the same team against the Bucs. And keep in mind, the Bucs don't even have Chris Middleton. Yeah, I know. I know. It's because it's the Bucs, man. Bucs are good. One last year, like they're, they have championship pedigree. So, you know, but I'm not worried about the Celtics. Don't worry about the Celtics. They will be fine. They will bounce back in game two. I like them. Um, But there are some injuries, you know, uh, going into game one. They had uh, uh, Jalen Brown had a a hamstring injury. He didn't play up to par um, how he usually plays. And also Marcus Smart, you know, their defensive anchor, um, he had had to leave the game for a little bit with with an injury. And then uh, he's questionable with a quad injury going into game two. So I know he's a really, really tough dude, but um, man, they really need him out there um, to kind of set the tone defensively. Uh, are, you, are you worried about that at all going into that uh, game two? I'm super worried. I mean, knowing how great the team played defensively in the first round. And I think a lot of us thought, wow, look what they were able to do against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to slow those guys down. And they, you know, they were able to shut off the lane and those guys, anytime they got in there and how, you know, is Milwaukee just going to be a one man show with Giannis? And what if they swarm him in the paint? Well, after he eliminated the bulls, he openly talked about his importance to the team in it going far beyond scoring the basketball. He said, like, I, I leave an impact, not by scoring. It's getting other guys involved and making the right play. And he talked about, you know, him five years ago, he, he, he joked about it. He said, it's very possible five years ago, I might've tried to gone out and score 50, but now I'm a little bit older and mature. And I've realized I got to make the right play and trust my teammates. And even though the Celtics did a great job on him in game one, he shot nine of 25. So he really struggled. And yet he still finished with 24 points, 13 boards, 12 assists, was able to, once he did get in the paint, draw all that attention, trusted his guys, and they made big plays and they controlled that game almost from the outside. It was really impressive. And yeah, I'm pretty worried. Well, something to worry about, you know, like I know the NBA has definitely changed um, over the last 10 years. It's now uh, uh, live, or, uh, live by the three, die by the three. And um, so I have good news and bad news about the Boston Celtics. They made 18 threes in game one. Impressive, right? 18 threes. However, they yeah, shot 50 of them. Five 
zero. Do you have a good stat on that? I know that they made more three. They made almost twice as many threes as they made twos. The Celtics only hit 10 two pointers in that loss. They're only the second team in NBA history to have a playoff performance where they only made 10 twos. That is bad news because like I said, everyone was one wondering how would Giannis fare against this pack line defense of the Celtics. But what no one was talking about, including myself and was overlooked was what's going to happen when Jason Brown and uh, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown get into the lane in the box with their length with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis. Those are some trees that gave some serious, serious problems to Tatum and Brown in game one. And it forced the Celtics to have to just jack it up from the outside. And they're not a great three point shooting team. Well, let's just, um, let's just jump into this right now. Um, so game twos for this game, we have Boston is favored by four and a half versus the Bucks. The over under is two fifteen. Um, what do you like? I, I think a lot of people think Boston has to bounce back, and I'm obviously a little bit biased, being a huge Celtics fan. I'm very concerned Milwaukee can win Game Two. I, if I had, if I had to guess, I would say Boston wins this game but I don't trust it enough to lay four and a half, but the two fifteen number. And, and I believe the game one was a bit higher than this. And then there was only 190 points in game one. Uh, I, I think that's part of the reason why the number came down a little bit here, even though logically the Celtics will shoot better than 34% from the field in game two, two fifteen still seems like a pretty big number for two clubs that are great defensively and force teams to have to make outside shots. So really out of anything that stands out, I like the under 215 in that game. How about you? I definitely like the under as well. Um, I think this game is going to be close. I'm not feeling Boston minus four and a half. I'm not feeling it. I think it's going to be a yeah, one or two a point game. To cover after yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do. <sighs> I do like Boston's chances in this game. I I, I think they're a, a very well coached team. I think they're going to bounce back. And I, you know, just like you said, I don't think they're going to shoot thirty four percent. And I definitely don't think they're going to shoot fifty threes again. I just don't. I like. I think they're going to look at that and be like, okay, so um, that's insane. And uh, we need to start attacking the basket more and um, try to get to the line probably because they're a very good free throw shooting team. Exactly. But even if so if you have Boston bouncing back on the money line, they're minus one eighty five. Do you see any value there, or is that a little bit too steep of a price to pay? I think it's too steep because right? I yeah, it is because you know just like how the playoffs are, I I don't I don't I don't feel confident Boston's going to win, but I definitely think that that I don't think they're going to cover that four and a half. But um, yeah, I I would stay away from that um, because it's still Milwaukee and they look you know pretty good and they can play even better and if they do then it's not going to be good for the for the Celtics that's for sure so yeah well, like the I, rest of the league, I mean since Chris Middleton went down they're four and0 they've won all four games by double digits three of the four the three against the Bulls they led by 30 at different points of each of those games and they were in control of this game as well I mean Brad Stevens you watched him with five minutes left when Milwaukee took a 17 point lead. Brad Stevens, who was up in the in the box press, he's just like, nope, I'm out of here. I've seen enough. 
I mean, this this Milwaukee team is playing really well, and they're reminding everyone, and Giannis is reminding everyone. I'm sorry, he's the league's most valuable player. He's the best, at the very least, he's the best player in the NBA. There is no one that can do what he can do on both ends of the court as well as he does them. Yeah, triple-double, you know, 12, 12 assists, 13 rebounds, 24 points. He was a plus 23. It's just ridiculous. I mean, like, no wonder he's always up for MVP every single year. But, you know, he's going to put up those numbers in Game 2 and Game 3 and Game 4 and Game 5. Boston needs their their young wing players, Tatum and Brown, to carry them. And they need good uh, production from you know, like their role players, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Derek White, Pritchard, you know, these guys just need to just knock down their open shots, attack the rim. But um, it all falls down on Tatum and Brown, you know? I mean, this is like their, their, their two core players and, and um, Tatum's going to have to play lights out. And, and if he has a bad game too, and um, you know, cause Milwaukee's really, really tough defensively and they rotate extremely well. And it's, it's going to be tough, but, um, you know, as far as that, uh, I think you and I both like the under, um, on that, uh, two fifteen, and, uh, yeah, everything and- else a little too risky. I don't see any smart play anywhere else in that game. There's too many, too many ways it can go. Okay. Um, so, um, it wouldn't be the NBA playoffs every single year if the Warriors are in it, if something didn't happen with Draymond Green, am I right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> yes. So Draymond Green had a, had a hard foul in game one came down swiped at the ball and then he pulled down um what was the guy's name again brandon clark brandon, brandon clark, clark I believe pulled him down the ground <clears throat> and then he was um the refs were going to look uh to see if it was a flagrant after i saw it i didn't think i thought it was probably going to be called a flagrant one but i was like i i think it might be a stretch for a flagrant two because a flagrant two is like a clear, like literally a guy's driving up to the basket and you literally just take him out. You don't even try to go you for the see ball. Intent. You see yeah. intent or you go for the head and you're not even trying for the ball. You know, like a clear, you know, uh, flagrant two that I see from Draymond Green of all time is when he kicked Steven Adams right in the nards, like clear as day. I don't even think he got called for anything on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, with, with this one, I agree. I, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, he hit really hard. Um, but then when you watch it on replays, you realize as as Clark was going to the floor, Draymond is pulling his jersey and kind of holding him up a little bit. Right. And even when he's lying on the floor, he's still trying to hold him up. And Draymond Green himself addressed it on his podcast. He did his podcast, The Draymond Green Show, about an hour and a half after the game from his hotel room. And he talked about it. He was like, I was dumb enough to think they weren't even going to give me a flagrant one. If you look at it, I'm holding the guy up as he's going down. So I think his reputation played into it. Um, and also, Clark hit the ground hard, so it made it look worse than it really was. But to Golden State's credit, even though they lost their vocal leader in their fiery, fiery forward late in the first half, the team stuck with it and was able to get a huge road win. They got big plays from some of their clutch guys. And then once again, I think we are seeing the emergence of a budding superstar in Jordan Poole grow up right in front of our eyes. Great first name. Great first name, Jordan (laughs) Poole. I must say, yeah, I mean, this guy is insane. I mean, man, he is making himself so much money. It's incredible. And and honestly, like I was looking at the uh, Golden State Warriors um, salaries. How can they pay Jordan Poole $20 million when – 
Steph and Clay make like a combined like $85 million. I don't know how they could pull that off. I'm guessing you trade like Wiggins or somebody or Draymond or I I already heard rumblings that Wiggins might not be back. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no way they move Draymond. Draymond is way too important to everything that they do. Um, Yes. He's, you know, he's not, he's only going to score seven, eight, nine points a game, but he does so much else for that basketball team. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be going anywhere. Uh, That big three Ultimately, they've been together since this all began, since their dynasty started six, seven years ago. I don't see any way those guys are moving. Maybe if they restructure some contracts and then they front load some and back load others and Jordan Poole is willing to take a little less than he would on the open market, maybe they're able to bring him back. But, you know, it's very possible he's like, hey, I want to be paid. Look what I'm capable of. I want to be paid. And if that's the case, he's probably gone. If I'm him, I, I take a little bit less, stay in Golden State, maybe win a couple more titles. Then I can really go command top dollar, like super max money in a couple years with a couple rings on my fingers, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. But, you know, like NBA players are like, you know, like they love to be on, like to to play with really good players. But then eventually, like when they can see that they're having a lot of success, they want to go do it and they want to be the star on the team. Like they want to like stand out more because he's always going to kind of be in the shadow of Clay and 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 Steph like that's just how it is cuz they're both two amazing players two of the best shooters in NBA history but you know i mean like we'll see i mean if he stays and take less i would be surprised cuz i think that he's made himself a lot of money but let's get to the actual game so after so after Draymond got kicked out the warriors um just went on a tear and played extremely well clay hit a big 3 with about 40 seconds left and then yep. curry had a nice block, stealing a block on John Morant. And then Clay, thinking he was going to ice the game, misses two free throws. I mean, when do you ever see that? Um, yeah. And then um, the uh, the Grizzlies drew up a great um, out-of-bounds play. And for John Morant, he was um, had good defense from Clay Thompson on him, but he just blew the layup, and um, the Warriors win by one, win in the game. And now going into game two, it's obviously a must win for Memphis. You lose this game, it's the end of the series for sure, as it'll then transition back to Golden State. I was a little surprised when I saw that the Warriors were two-point favorites already in game two. Um, And the over-under, 227.5. So obviously they're expecting plenty of fireworks in this one. Uh, What side of the ledger are you falling on? Well, I love the Warriors. I do. You know, I mean, like Memphis has played, um, had a great first round series with the Timberwolves, but let's be honest, the Timberwolves are not the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors are, um, they're healthy now and they're rolling. And uh, with the emergence of Jordan Poole, I just think that Golden State's going to step on their throats in this game. Like, I think Memphis is going to keep it, keep it close. And I don't think it's going to be like a, you know, a golden state blowout or anything, but I just think golden state, it like they have so much firepower and when they're on, it's tough to stop. And their defense is a top three defense too. So it's, I mean, John Morant, he had a great game three, really, really good. I think I'm going to see right now he scored, um, 34 points, 10 assists. He also had, uh, Jaron Jackson also had a great game, 33 points, 10, 10 rebounds. Um, but they just need more. I mean, Dylan Brooks, eight points. Uh, Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is the key. Uh, I believe he is the key to that team. Because remember, late in the regular season, when Ja missed a bunch of time, 
the Grizzlies were actually 18 and two without him at one time. They finished for the season 20 and five in games that he didn't play, but they were 18 and two at one point when he wasn't in the lineup. And a lot of that Desmond Bain is a guy that he goes about his job. He's extremely efficient offensively generally. And we just didn't see the same player from him in game one. And I'm sure some of the defense from, from clay Thompson, which clay isn't quite the defender he was prior to all of his major injuries, but he's starting to round into, into form a little bit, which obviously is at a perfect time. But I actually like Memphis to win this game outright. So knowing they're plus 110 on the money line, if I'm going to go that way, I don't really see the odds that Golden State wins by exactly one point again, knowing that the spread is Golden State minus two. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take Memphis plus two, you might as well just take them to win. Because I, I would be shocked if back-to-back they lose by exactly one point. Yeah. So if you're going to go Memphis, which personally I would, I would go money line and take it at plus 110, get a little slightly better odds. Um, I, I think that even this series, this is destined to be, in my opinion, at least a six-game series. I don't think it goes seven. I think more than likely if Memphis can even up the series here, they go to Golden State. I don't know if they get a game there. Maybe they come back to Memphis and get one in, in game five. Um, Warriors are playing too well overall. I think for Memphis to win the series, they're not quite there yet. Uh, they're a little bit too young, but I do think in this particular game, they're going to play with a lot of energy, a lot of intensity and play really, really good defense. So the, even the, the two twenty seven seems like a big number to me. I think we're going to see, I don't think we're going to see nearly as, as good of outside shooting as we saw in game one. But again, if I had to go one way, I'm actually taking Memphis to pull off the upset and tie the series. Warriors taking them in this game. And uh, I love the over again. If I'm yeah, going to do it like, yeah, like if I'm going to parlay it, I'm taking, I'm taking golden state minus two and I'm taking the over uh, two twenty seven and a half. I think this is the game. I don't think Jordan Poole is going to have a crazy game like he did this time. I, I think this is going to be a Curry Steph game where they're just going to be lights out. Can't stop them. You know, one of them's going to have 20, 28 points. The other guy's going to have like, 35 like it's just going to be one of those games and um i think it'll be close but then but then i think golden state it's going to be a foul game at the end and they're going to end up winning by like five that's what i think yeah i mean clay probably doesn't miss two free throws again at the end i'll tell you that much that was shocking when that happened all right so we're going against each other i love it yes well and you know another little thing when i was doing a little research and obviously flipping back to the eastern conference and you know Everything that Philadelphia had gone through, they just as a team, there's it's just been such a crazy year. And they trade for Harden, and it appears at this point they certainly won that trade because Ben Simmons never showed up for Brooklyn anyway. Um, but he hasn't looked like the same guy. Embiid was able to carry them, hit that game winner in, in the first round against Toronto, which was unbelievable. But then the news comes out that he has this serious injury, and he's going to miss. Initially, they thought maybe the whole series – Recent reports say it's possible he comes back for game three or game four, but by then it might be too little too late. Uh, so right now Miami's minus three ten to win that series. I feel like the way the heat are playing right now, they're rested. They're fully healthy. They're unbelievable defensively. Uh, I think they're damn near a lock to beat the Sixers in that series. So if you can get them at minus three ten, and as much as I love my Celtics, from what I saw in game one, I, I want to believe the Celtics are going to win that series, but I don't think they will. And if you parlay the Heat 
with Milwaukee and make a series bet, a futures bet on the series, you're actually going to get plus 137 if you just go Miami and Milwaukee as your Eastern Conference Finals, which is pretty good value considering the Bucs already won a game and Miami doesn't have to play against Joel Embiid for a couple games. I'm on my way to the bank right now. The second this podcast is over, I am I am going to I'm not going to go to the bank. I'm going to go to bet online and I'm going <laughs> to place that bet because then I'm going to win and I'm going to buy my wife something very nice just for the heck of it. What do you think of well, that? It is it's it's a smart bet because mm. I'm sorry, Miami is not losing that series and the more I watch them play, the more impressed with them I am and to me they might be a dark horse sneaky bet to win the title this year which I didn't think I would say that at all, but I am so impressed. And Jimmy Butler is such an amazing two-way player and doesn't get nearly the props that he deserves. And they have so many good role players. And they're doing – Lowry got hurt, didn't even play the last couple of games, and they, they're balling out. He's going to be back eventually during the series. Like, I just – I really like that team a lot. So, yeah, to me, I think there's, that's a nice little sneaky bet, good way to make some money. Kendall. Wanna, oh, yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> All right, so l- how about we uh, take a look back? So over the weekend, we had the NFL draft, which I know you and I were super pumped about. They had it in Las Vegas. The setup was gorgeous. Um, it was, you know, there was so many people there, so much COVID getting tossed around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, yep. It was a- <laughs> not, not a mask in sight. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll tell you this, like it was – one of the most exciting NFL drafts I can remember in quite some time with all of those first round trades, I was covering it for clutch points as it was happening live. And the, normally teams like to take their time. They can use their whole 10 minutes and generally they do. But in the first round, there was like seven picks in like 17 minutes. It was beautiful. Teams were just popping up there one after another, after another, which made my life a living hell for about 17 minutes. Um, but I but enjoyed yeah, it, was it. Super exciting though. I enjoyed it. It was great. Just pick after pick. Cause it's like, come on, man. Like, you know, like there, there wasn't a much like firepower trade-ups that I thought was going to happen. You know, like in the draft, there's usually like a lot of like exciting trade up in the top five or in the yep. top two or whatever. I mean, rarely does the number one overall pick ever get traded on the clock. It, it just doesn't happen because there's too much legwork to like get the deal finalized. Like when the clock's running, it's forget about it. But the Jacksonville Jaguars took Trayvon Walker, the upside defensive end out of Georgia. I think it was a mistake. I think you they should have taken Aiden Hutchinson, and I think they're going to regret that. But who knows? You know, like he's um, he is a beautiful football clay mold where you can just mold him the right way, and he could be an absolute beast for you for a decade or more. But um, what did you think about that pick? There's generally always places where it makes sense to take upside as your pick. The first overall pick in the NFL draft is not that situation. You want to know exactly what you're getting with the first overall pick. And I'm sorry, but the Jaguars, you don't know what you're getting. We, we've seen less than a full season of, of this player playing close to the level that they're hoping he will be able to. Whereas with Aiden Hutchinson, All the film is there. All the tape is there. We've seen it for three years at Michigan. We've watched him dominate Big Ten offensive linemen. And if there's one thing the Big Ten is known for, it's having really good offensive linemen. Um, So I agree with you. I think it was a mistake. 
And the Detroit Lions were more than happy to to pounce on that mistake and take Aiden Hutchinson second. Um, but how about, do you want to talk about some teams, some winners and losers coming out of the draft? Because, you know, I felt like there was a number of teams that did an exceptional job and some of them were teams that really needed it. Others were teams that were already good and just got that much better. So I'm curious, who do you think, who were some of your winners in the draft? J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Wow, they, the Jets we're talking about here. You know, like you don't talk about the Jets doing good things. But they ended up taking um, uh, Rich Eisen, who is the host of the of the show of my daily job. Um, he was pounding the table for Ahmad Sauce Gardner for weeks. He loved the guy. We had him on the show. He seems like a really, really good kid. And man, this guy is confident. He is so he he calls himself Sauce. Okay, <laughs> Sauce. It's amazing. And he had yes. like a soft bottle like decked out in diamonds and like it's Yeah, I was sick. You, that was sick. Like you want that from your cornerback or your or your or your wide receiver or any position. I mean, it's amazing for a guy to come in. He's fearless. So they took him, which was amazing. And then there was rumors that they were going to trade for Debo and as a 49er fan, I was like, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, well if it happens, it happens. Apparently, they offered the 10th overall pick and a 5th round pick. For, to the yeah. Niners for Debo Samuel in a third. I I was laughing for like 10 minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're getting well, Debo. So were the Niners, apparently. Yeah, Debo Samuel, and you want a third round pick for for the 10th. Oh, stop. So, anyways, yeah. but they ended up not trading and they ended up getting uh, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State wide receiver, which I thought was a, another great pick. And then um, Jermaine Johnson. And he was falling. He was one of the surprise picks that were falling in the draft in the first round. Jets jumped up, got him at 26 from Florida State. So another very intriguing process. Excuse me, prospect. And then uh, they also picked up uh, the best running back in the class too in Brees Hall from from, uh, Iowa State. So, I mean, they bravo to the New York Jets. Now, it is the draft and you don't know how these guys are going to play out and if they're going to develop. So you have to be patient, Jets fans. It's exciting time, but you have to be patient. You can't expect Sauce Gardner to have six, seven interceptions and Garrett Wilson to score seven, eight touchdowns and Jermaine Johnson to have 10 plus sacks. Give it time, but you have some, some, you went shopping and you bought some damn good ingredients. So enjoy it. And I love, absolutely love what the Jets did. So congrats Jets fans. Yeah, I agree. I, I think most importantly, they surrounded Zach Wilson with pieces now. Now you're going to know going into next year's NFL draft when it is going to be a very good quarterback draft. You are going to know because more than likely the Jets are still going to finish fourth in that division and toward the bottom of the, the stacked AFC. Um, but despite that, now you have some toys for Zach Wilson to play with and both uh, the running back and receiver that they had, uh, they had a young receiver and running back. I can't think of their names right now. Uh, Michael Carter mm-hmm. and was the running back. And I forget the receiver. He got banged up toward the end of the season, but he looked really, really good. And is it Elijah those, Moore? Was it Elijah, Elijah Moore? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you had those two and now you add a couple other really solid skill position players to put around Zach Wilson. And you might actually have an idea is he the quarterback of the future for the New York Jets or do we need to go and get another one next year? So he was really, really smart. And plus, value-wise, generally, 
you know, you probably got the best corner, and he was the second one off the board. Yep. A lot of people have Garrett Wilson as the best receiver, and you got him as the second receiver off the board. So you got value, and you got incredible talent and upside. And, and the ball should trade back in to get Johnson late in the first as well. I agree. I thought the Jets easily were one of the best drafts, uh, best teams in the draft. Another team that I really like and thought they did such an amazing job was the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they draft uh, the safety out of Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton, 14th overall, which I think anyone who knows Notre Dame, their defense quietly was really, really solid. And Hamilton might have been the biggest reason why last year. And then they draft Tyler Linderbaum. And a lot of scouts are saying he's the best prospect at center in the last 10 years that's entered the NFL draft. And he also has the flexibility to move to guard as well. So I feel like you shore up that type of their offensive line, which with how Baltimore runs their offense, it's so crucial to have those positions locked down. And so to be able to get those two guys in the first round, and then they're the ones who land David Ojabo, the the linebacker out of Michigan, who until he tore his Achilles at the NFL combine was probably a top 15 pick. And so they'll have to wait an extra year for him to come around as he recovers from the injury. But I thought they did an outstanding job in putting themselves in yet another great position going forward. Yeah, they did really, really good. I really liked what they did. Um, another team that stood out to me was the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, like the big trade um, with A.J. Brown. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen to him. Um, Tennessee said, we're not trading him. They're pretty adamant about it. So the same agent that represents Debo Samuel represents A.J. Brown. So A.J. Brown got traded to in the first round to the Philadelphia Eagles and um, the Titans obviously traded away their first round pick in the deal. So they picked up a big time wide receiver and they paid him five years, a hundred million dollar deal. Excuse me, four years, $100 million deal, $25 million a year for AJ Brown. Let me just like, before I go any, any further with the Eagles, do you think that's too much for AJ Brown? Because I do. I mean, with how with the way things are moving right now and knowing what the market looks like, I mean, Christian Kirk got $75 million. He's far superior to Christian Kirk. So he is a true ex-wide receiver that I think is, talent-wise, probably top eight in the NFL. Um, so generally speaking, yeah, it might be a little much, but knowing that that's kind of where things are right now and that that's what it was going to take for them to, similar to the Jets, you now know as the Eagles, is Jalen Hurts our guy? Because now you have, this will open things up significantly for Devontae Smith um, now that you have a true X receiver on the other side and they already have a, a solid running game. Um, so I, I like the move. I, I get that they had to pay him a lot, pay him a lot of money, but I don't blame him for doing that. Yeah. So, um, so back to the, uh, to the Eagles, then they took uh, the big defensive tackle out of Georgia, Jordan Davis, another great first name, uh, 13th overall. Um, he's a beast, man. He's, he's a beast. Like I'm trying to think of what yeah, to get, are. to get someone that powerful that we saw on a, on a big stage, you know, he was on Georgia, helped them win the national title and knowing that he played in the sec against some real competition and to have him dominate much of that. You couldn't watch a Georgia game last year and not, see and say his name three, four times during the game. 
Um, so I thought that was a really, really smart pick. And, uh, you know, anytime you have the ability to get a defensive tackle that that good and you can change the way you play defense if teams cannot run the football against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just look at the Bucks. the last three, four years. Teams don't even try running against them anymore just because you can't. And it'll, it makes it so much easier to play defense when you don't even have to worry about teams trying to run the ball on you. So the fact that the Eagles got the first defensive tackle off the board at 13 and it was that guy, I thought that was great value. I love the pick. Yeah, and then they also picked up uh, the big center from Nebraska, Cameron uh, Jurgens, uh, yep. to eventually replace uh, Jason Kelsey. And it was funny because I saw something over the weekend. They actually, uh, Jason Kelsey was on um, some kind of program live when the Eagles drafted um, Cameron Jurgens, and uh, they thought it was they're going like, oh my gosh, they took a center. And Kelsey said that he was his favorite player in the draft, and he was excited about it. So I mean. Good on him. Wow. I mean, just just being a leader, just being a great teammate so far, because I know how that could be. You know, you could be drafting a replacement. He they obviously are, but class act by Jason Kelsey. And then um Nicobe Dean, he went uh, in the third round and um could be the steal of the draft. I mean, there's always a player or two talked about every year. If he if you know that falls and you can get him, there's always some some kind of red flags with that. And uh, apparently he was training for the combine and he had a pectoral he had a pectoral is it pectoral pectoral yeah so he was training for the combine and um he had a pectoral um strain and uh it scared off a lot of teams and uh, apparently it was suggested that he might get surgery um to get it fixed and he declined and thought he was just going to heal on his own so it scared a lot of teams off, and um, this guy's a hell of a player. I mean, he was one of their best defensive players on Georgia, um, and so uh, the Eagles might have really snagged a a really, really, really good player in the third round. Um, so they did a tremendous job, filled up, filled a lot of holes. So now it really comes down to um, you know, like when you get AJ Brown and. Um, they have a lot of weapons on offense, so it's going to come down to Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, we got this you a lot of weapons. Yeah, like you got a lot of weapons. Like we gave you a big-time receiver now. Um, and who's their other receiver that they have? I cannot think of his name. Devontae Smith. Yeah, so you have two, you know, a, a clear number one and a clear number two now. Yep. So we'll see what they do. But, um, yeah, I uh, I like what the Eagles did. And then you have one more team, right? Uh, You know, I like what the Giants did uh, a lot as well. Obviously, the city of New York ha- had a good weekend, uh, getting Kayvon Thibodeau, Thibodeau uh, fifth overall, and then being able to draft Evan Neal seventh, which, you know, Evan Neal, anytime you get a three-, four-year starter at Alabama at left tackle, um, typically those types of guys go first, second, third overall. At one point, he was projected to be a top-three pick. And to be able to get him at seven, I thought that was good value. And – the Giants have needed some offensive line help for so long. They went out and drafted a guard a little bit later in the draft as well. So I really like what the Giants did too. Um, but how about some losers? Uh, was there anyone that really stood out to you that uh, seemed to, you know, have some picks that seemed like a reach or? Yeah, like there was a pick that was really strange to me, and uh, it was really strange. It was in the first round. Do you? 
Are you following what I think I'm... I know where I think I, I think I know where you're probably going with this. Okay, yeah. Uh, so your beloved New England Patriots, you know, are always a team every single year that they always trade back. They did trade back. The New England Patriots ended up taking Cole Strange from Chattanooga State, and it was a very surprising pick. And uh, you have more comments on that because you saw something over the weekend. Yeah, it was hilarious. I'm sure by now most people have probably seen this. So Rams head coach Sean McVay and Les Snead, the general manager, they happen to be having a press conference while that pick was announced. And McVay sees it on the television in front of him, and he looks up. And he's like, oh, my God, to think we spent hours and hours wondering if Cole Strange was going to be there for us at pick 104. And basically ripping on New England and Bill Belichick in particular for taking the guy 30th overall when they were thinking they might be able to snag him at pick 104. And, you know, they weren't the only ones that were caught off guard. Analysts, ESPN anchors, everyone was really, really surprised. Most GMs had uh, Cole Strange listed as a third-round projection. So it was really interesting. And, you know, Belichick and the Patriots, they always kind of do their own thing when it comes to drafting. And generally with linemen, they've been pretty good. It's normally the skill position players that Belichick has always struggled with and in particular wide receivers. Um, So, you know, maybe he ends up proving everyone wrong, and this guy turns out to be a standout guard. They obviously needed some help. Shaq Mason left. I would have paid Shaq Mason personally um, instead of throwing the rolling the dice here. But, um, you know, I thought that was a really, really strange pick. And overall, you know, they went and got a a speedy receiver, and the team needed some speed. And then they got a really quick corner. But overall, I wasn't too impressed with what they did in the draft. I thought they needed an impact wide receiver. And there was six or seven of them. They all went in the first round, and the Patriots didn't move up to get any of them. Uh, to no one's surprise, because they never move up. Another team I was really surprised in, and don't think they had a, a particularly very good weekend, was the Chicago Bears. You know, they they have a lot of holes, and a lot of them are on offense. And they Offensive started out, line, offensive line. Yeah, Offensive line and wide receiver were two glaring needs for them. And they didn't really address that. They eventually took a receiver, uh, Velas Jones Jr. out of Tennessee with a 71st overall pick. But he's just a speed merchant. He's just he just takes you know the top off of defenses, but he he is not uh the type of receiver that you can rely on to be your lead guy. Um, he doesn't have the size, the hands, the route running to to be that guy. So I was really surprised. And they just went and got corners and safeties. And I was like, well, you kind of, you know, that that wasn't much of an issue last year as as it was. I mean, and the fact that they didn't really address the offensive line in the first few rounds was quite shocking. So the Bears, I thought, might have had one of the worst weekends of any team. Um, but man, I'll tell you this, though. Like you said, the NFL draft was a lot of fun especially early on with everything flying all over the place, trades coming out of nowhere. Um, You know, Arizona traded to get Marquise Brown. We find out this morning it's because DeAndre Hopkins got suspended for PED. So he's gone for six weeks. Um, So like, yeah, it was, it was quite the weekend, man. Head scratcher for me is, is uh, Kenny Pickett going to Pittsburgh. I thought that was a reach, but you're a Kenny Pickett believer. Um, And Malik Willis, he got picked in so much from my pick. Malik Willis Jeez. going sixth overall. He went, man. He what was it? Late third, I think he I went. I think to so. Tennessee. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. And, uh, and then, uh, the Packers, they did take not two receivers in the first round. <laughs> they passed on two receivers in the first round, they but did. they did but- take two receivers. Yes. Well, and they took one of them. They traded up surprisingly Minnesota let them take their spot to start the second round with the 34th pick, I believe. And, and they took a receiver there, which was a really smart move because yeah, you, you gotta put something around them. Cause we know that they, they clearly don't, they lost quite a bit with Adams and then MVS also leaving. Um, so it, good for them that they actually addressed that need and probably made Aaron Rodgers a little bit happier knowing they gave him a guy. We will see how it plays out for all these teams, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was crazy to see the draft in Vegas. I mean, you never thought that that would ever happen, but uh, it was really, really cool to see, and um, I wish I was there. It would have been fun to go to. Now I want to transition to uh, a new segment that we're starting here on the Lay the Points podcast. It's called Kendall's Corner. So there's a, a always a bunch of fringe sports. My whole life I've been following tennis and golf and hockey and soccer and MMA and and all these things. and there's so much knowledge that's there that can lend itself toward also providing solid advice for people to make some money. And so I figured, why not have this little spinoff uh, segment here and, you know, the perfect time to do it because Lord Stanley's Cup is up for grabs. The NHL playoffs are about to begin later this evening. And as someone that has been a diehard hockey fan for my entire life, or at least as far back, I went to Bruins games in the garden back when I was seven years old. I remember very clearly going to the old garden, the smell of all the piss. Oh, I'll never forget it. Um, and so, yeah, I thought this was a good time. And when I took a look at some of the odds and some of the games and some of the series, there's some stuff that really stood out to me as easy money makers. So I want to just throw these out there for anyone who's looking for a quick buck really quick. So in the first round, Florida, Colorado, and Calgary are all almost locks. Florida's got the Capitals. Alex Ovechkin's still not fully healthy. They haven't announced if he's even going to be able to play in game one. Florida was the best team in the NHL all season. They won the President's Trophy. They got even better at the trade deadline, adding Claude Giroux. They have four lines that can score. Florida's going to win that series. Colorado gets a break and gets to play Nashville, who had a a relatively down year in a down Western conference. The Eastern conference was by far the better conference. They actually became the first conference in hockey history to have eight playoff teams, each with a hundred points. That's how deep it is. Um, And despite that, Florida is the one team that really stood out among all of them. And then Calgary also has a really favorable first round series against Dallas And if you parlay those three series, Florida, Colorado, Calgary, even though individually each one of them are huge favorites, you put those together, you'll get even money. So you bet a hundred bucks, you'd get 200 back. Um, I think that's easy money at this point in time. Um, Then there's a couple other bets that made a lot of sense to me. So in that Colorado Nashville series, the over under in total goals in the series was listed at 36 and a half. I don't see Nashville winning more than one game. I would be very surprised if that series went even six. So if it only goes five, that gives you an average of just over seven goals a game. Typically, most over-unders individually in games are between five and a half and six and a half, almost always in hockey. So if you can get an under 36 and a half for that series, right now it's minus 110. I feel like that's that's taking money from a baby, um, well, taking candy from a baby, uh, but really he'll have money holding out underneath that candy, I guess. Uh, And then 
in the same regard, but for an opposite reason. In the Toronto-Tampa Bay series, which is the most interesting first-round series, there is so much star power. You have the two-time defending champions, and they are underdogs in this first-round series. That's how good the Eastern Conference is. So I think it's safe to say that we're probably looking at a long series. And if that goes six or seven games, the goals total for that series is only 35 and a half. If you if that series goes six or seven, that's only five goals a game. They're, the over-under for game one is six and a half. And Vegas is telling you they like the over because the with where the money line is on it. Uh, so, so I feel like you take the over 35 and a half total goals in the Toronto Tampa series, the under 36 and a half in the Colorado Nashville series, because that series won't go very long. And you parlay Florida, Colorado, and Calgary, the three teams to win their series and get even money. You're going to make some money off the NHL playoffs before they even begin. That's what I'm telling you. That's Kendall's corner. Let's lock it in. We'll see you here next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.